Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Huddle and to Dose of Support. Thank you for your continued listenership. It does not go unnoticed. I look at every review and I look at all the ratings that I've been given and the support that I'm given on social media, and I just can't thank you guys enough for being here. It really makes a difference to me. It is my dose of support. This week, the updates are the United States has a new president, so yeah! And I've been house hunting, and it's not going so well, but it, things will turn around. I think the market is changing, and it, you know, things are just kind of up in the air when you're looking for that next thing. So that's my adventure right now. This week, we're going to hear from Dr. Garcia. I hope you stay tuned and enjoy Dose of Support. listeners, welcome back to Dose of Support. Today's guest is a recent graduate of physical therapy school. He has a passion for orthopedic care and the home health care population. He'll share a story about development as he went against family wishes to pursue a physical therapy career. Please welcome Dr. Victor Garcia Jr. to the show. Hi, Victor. Hey, Vanessa. Thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) You have a very interesting background and you just graduated. So let's talk a little bit about PT school. How difficult was it to get into PT school? So actually, when I was applying to physical therapy school, I didn't realize how difficult it would be. I was originally pre-med for the first a little bit, the first three years, I would say, of my undergrad, which the switch made it take about five years to finally finish my degree. Um, so wow. going into, yeah, going into physical therapy, I didn't really know what I was getting into because the switch was kind of quick and I wanted to get in as soon as possible, being that I was now already in a fifth year for my undergrad degree. But now that I've actually done the research on it and tried to help other students, I'm realizing that it was far more competitive than I thought it would be and that I'm actually pretty lucky to have gotten into uh, a school on my first try. I would wow. put it, if I had to put like a number on it, it's probably like a And I don't know how this compares to, let's say, getting into a graduate program for nursing, Um, but I would probably put it between like 50 and 60% do get in somewhere. Now, that doesn't mean that it's your top choice, but you get one acceptance throughout that cycle. And I think pre-PTs on average are applying to like six to seven schools. So to get at least one out of six, then you have that 60% chance or up to 60% chance. That's kind of what it looks like right now. So you mentioned leading PT, which is a whole, I guess, social media group, support platform, um, and podcast. So if there are any PT students or or undergraduate students that are interested in physical therapy, check that out because it sounds like Victor kind of knows what's up. So now that you've graduated, we've had PTs on the show before and what they've said is they go to boards next. And as a recent grad, what what is the job situation and residency situation for you? So COVID kind of has that up in the air now. 
because I am someone who was looking and doing outpatient ortho, not so much in the hospital setting. Um, there's obviously a wide variety that you can do just like with nurse practitioner. And with physical therapy, I was leaning towards that outpatient orthopedic setting, which is just your regular like ortho injuries. Like let's say your shoulder or your back hurts just to be kind of simple with it. That's what I was looking at doing. And because of this whole situation, you can imagine that there's a lot of patients who either wanted to have an elective surgery because their knee's been bothering them for a long time. They're like, well, let me just hold off another year because I've been dealing with it for years anyway. I'm not going to want to stay overnight for, I don't know, five nights if I needed to because of a surgery in a hospital where I know there's COVID patients. So things like that make physical therapy on the back end for rehab much slower. And then on the same token, if patients don't even if they don't need surgery and they wanted to go to therapy, well, now they don't want to go into a room with a bunch of other patients and just exposing themselves (laughs) if they don't have to. So if clinics aren't seeing patients, then I can't expect them to give me a job either. They're probably just trying to maintain and stay afloat. Tell me what an average day in the life for a physical therapist working in the type of area that you're wanting to work in would be like. So that's a tough question only because there's so much happening right now in terms of how the career is moving. Um, And I think for the better. So right now, if you wanted to just work for, get your basic outpatient ortho job at a corporate sort of setting, you're probably seeing about at least two to upwards of, or not upwards, up to four patients per hour um, throughout an eight, yeah, throughout an eight hour work day uh, with your probably 30 to an hour lunch. That's kind of the... The norm that you would expect in, let's say, if anyone's heard of uh, Select or Cora, those are kind of the big names in terms of the corporate physical therapy outpatient orthos. But now there's a movement towards kind of going into a more private-based clinic so that you can work with patients more one-on-one because Mm -hmm. honestly, financially – and this is like a, a so much like a much deeper question than just what we're talking about here when it gets into insurance and whatnot and actually being able to be a profitable clinic that can stay open and pay your employees. With that, if you're going into, let's say, a one-on-one, then obviously it's going to either cost these patients more. Well, actually, that would be all that it is because the insurance is not going to want to pay more. So you either going to have to work for not free, but at a much more reduced rate if you go one-on-one like that, if you're taking insurance, or you have to go cash-based, which is what the movement has kind of been where we, as physical therapists, feel like we're not providing good care, not what we came into the profession to do, especially when you're an outpatient ortho, where it's like, how can I treat four patients in 60 minutes? And all of them are there for all 60 minutes. Like I can't divide myself up like that and clone myself. So I feel like I'm just robbing their their insurance and themselves of their money if they do have these higher co-pays. Uh, Rather than if they had just seen me one-on-one or maybe at most two patients at a time, I can actually get them better faster. And overall, it would probably be cheaper, not just for them, but also for insurance. Yeah. Dr. Danielle McGinnis in episode six talked about how she was working in, you know, regular, the, the average physical therapy clinic. And she was really frustrated by that aspect. And she ended up going her own way as a physical therapist and becoming becoming a coach that can just do her work privately so that it was a really interesting take on you know using her physical therapy for good in the wellness arena but not in the healthcare system that we currently I mean the system is it sucks the the American healthcare system sucks hey there Canada saying hi we have <laughs> we have lots of downloads in Canada and Iceland we have a few downloads and um so I just so for those of you that are listening out of country it sounds like a regular 
like sports medicine clinic like you would want to work at, you would be turning through patients and grind, you know, like hitting the ground running and seeing all these patients and then billing their insurance and then having them come back for more therapy and not making any progress. Yeah. And, uh, and it's kind of like with the interview that you said you had with, um, with McGinnis, Danielle McGinnis, well, what she's mm-hmm. doing is not absurd in terms of like the numbers of people doing it. That's actually something like I was saying is, is more and more common now in our profession because of that. It's not only like obviously a better livelihood for the, for the physical therapist, but then you're getting much better results for the patients. And they're actually kind of, you mentioned the connection that you're getting and being able to explain and empathize with them. You have that opportunity now. And what the scary part of it is, is that if you want to do that, then these patients, if you're not taking insurance, then they are now being forced to pay cash for your services out front. But the research has shown that they're paying much less overall because they're getting that one-on-one care and they're much better, much quicker. Um, It's hard and scary to want to take that jump because it's hard to tell a patient like, hey, yeah, I'll treat you, but it's going to cost you this much out front. Like, well, I figured I would just either pay a 10 or $20 deductible or my insurance covers all of it. So it's it's a hard thing to dive into, but you don't see those results or understand why the physical therapists want to do it until three visits in when you're feeling amazing and probably don't have to come back for either, I don't know, maybe one or two more times and you're pretty much done. What you're kind of describing is kind of how chiropractor clinics have functioned for a long time. Like they have a sliding scale or a package rate. Um, They can bill insurance, but sometimes it's just cheaper to just do the flat rate or um, buy a package. And so that's really kind of sounds like that's where the physical therapy world might go. Yeah, I think so. And actually chiropractors are one that in the physical therapy world we talk about a lot because I don't know if it's, I don't want to say jealousy, but it's, we look at them and it's like, why aren't we doing that? Like we should be doing what they're doing because they figured this out obviously years ago that what works and what doesn't, and they're doing what works. And I think as our profession, we're seeing that we're deciding, well, let's do what works then. Yeah. Okay. So I like to ask this question, Mm -hmm. but do you see physical therapists on TV? Do you see people that look like you on TV? Tough. Um, I guess I heard a me, big sigh because <laughs> I, I have to think about it and I can think sometimes now where let's say me and my wife are on the couch watching tv and someone will mention like oh I had to I got physical therapy or I was in rehab and whatnot and they'll mention specifically the type of rehab being physical therapy and it's kind of obvious in that regard but I I can't think of a let's say a program or a movie or something that I watched that I they actually show a physical therapist doing their job so I feel like we get plugs every now and then because of the person that is speaking where they went through it. Now, whether they look like me or not, um, I am, I mean, generally you look at me and it's kind of like hit or miss with some people think I am just completely white American versus others think that I'm from Spain. I'm actually Cuban Hispanic, but um, I guess my features don't really give it off that much. So when I'm watching TV, like I, it's not that I, I don't really think about whether I'm like underrepresented as like a, I guess a race or ethnicity, but I know for physical therapy, that's one that I've noticed just because every now and then my wife kind of nudges me like, Hey, look, they said physical therapy. Um, but that's really the extent of what I see when I'm looking at things like that. And I don't watch a bunch of TV as is to watch much more. So I could be totally wrong with this, but that's my personal experience. Would you identify yourself as Latino then? Yeah. Okay. So do you see a lot of Latino people in physical therapy doing that work? Or do you feel like um, it's still mostly white people? And tell me about the representation that's there for you. So this is 
um, tough for me because I don't feel like where I live is the same representation as the rest of the country. Being that I mentioned I'm in South Florida down in Miami, honestly, as growing up, I always kind of called it like, oh, this is like an extension of Cuba just because yeah. there are so many Cubans that live here <laughs> from like migrating to America. And then a lot of them either went to New York or stayed like in South Florida, being that it was the closest in terms of like the actual physical distance from the homeland. Uh, being the mm -hmm. island of Cuba. So then here, I feel like, let's say anywhere that I go, there's probably a some sort of either Cuban, Venezuelan is pretty common here too, um, Dominican. There's a lot of Hispanics down where I live, but I don't feel like that would be the same representation if I went anywhere else in the country. So on my end, probably my personal not. experience, yeah, I would say no. Um, and also, I, I guess it comes down to numbers too, just as a percentage we as Hispanics, I would say, and I say we just because I'm kind of included in that, the Hispanic community here is higher than it would be somewhere else in terms of the actual population of people. Hispanic cultures, they definitely push for the children to go into a healthcare field. Similarly to saying like, oh, going to law school is respected or becoming an accountant is respected, like going to a higher level education and getting a solid job like that, Hispanics mm -hmm. gravitate towards pushing healthcare. Now, again, I, we kind of talked about before going to the show when we we're talking a little bit, we were talking about MDs and how respected they are and how it's kind of overrated a little bit. Um, <laughs> so when we're looking at Hispanic culture, they push heavily. For us, she struggled to get a job done here because there are so many people um, going into healthcare down in this area. And then I, now that I'm coming out, I'm kind of looking at my options and saying, well, if I want to open up a private clinic, there are so many physical therapy clinics down here. Like every street corner, there's one, whether it's a, a big corporate one or people trying to open up a private one. The reason I was asking is um, you having that Cuban heritage and understanding Hispanic cultures and, and working in that area is probably going to serve patients better because you understand those cultures and where those folks are coming from. And I think I've, I've said this before in the show, but we need professionals in healthcare that look like our patients, you know, like so that people can get the best care and feel like they can relate to the person that's helping them. And um, so I was just, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Well, I would agree. There's, there's definitely some sort of like, an, there's, there's some sort of like an empathy level there that um, I guess I would have an advantage of in terms of like, well, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I was kind of raised in the same um, family structure, I guess you would say, or the same belief systems that one culture would have versus another. I think a big one though would be language. So they would need a little bit more help in the physical therapy department. And it would be probably more difficult if they didn't have somebody who spoke the same language as them because pain is complex and it's hard to give that across. So I can right. definitely see it on that end. So you're bringing just a whole different understanding to your work. And I think that all professions in healthcare need that. And if I move, then I can supply that. Like if, like if I go to Texas, yeah. then I yeah. can be that person that speaks Spanish there if there exactly. aren't a, people that, a lot of people that do. So it's kind of a pro and con where I guess I'd be leaving some, but then I'm helping others. Right. So on that note, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Victor is going to tell us his family story and then share some self-care. So stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We have Dr. Victor Garcia, Jr., our doctor of physical therapy, our new graduate, and he's here to tell us a story about his family situation when he decided to go into physical therapy school, and then we'll get to some self-care. So take it away, Victor. 
Yeah, so we kind of uh, alluded to a little bit about just the cultural side of things and Hispanics pushing towards uh, the healthcare profession as a whole, and then obviously wanting the best for the children. So they're just like, oh, well, that's probably MD. Um, I kind of fell in that boat. I come from a family where my mom is a pharmacist. Uh, my grandfather is a, a primary uh, physician. Uh, my uncle is an OBGYN. And my uncle, my other uncle, is a physical therapist. And I kind of got pushed into, well, you're going to become an MD. So just, I guess, being brainwashed my whole life, I kind of accepted it. Like, oh, I'm going to do the MD career path uh, until it actually got real where it's like, wait, I'm going to be an MD pretty soon. So I have to actually decide if I want to do this. So um, I actually started working in a hospital setting uh, in surgery because if I was going to be an MD, I kind of gravitated towards orthopedic surgery. I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon. And it was more so my love for like the musculoskeletal um, aspect of healthcare and how the body moves and all that stuff. And I figured that was a, a cool way to incorporate what I like into my life as an MD. I started working there and I started talking to the physicians and anesthesiologists and like half of them were divorced and family, something super important to me. <laughs> um, my wife now, we've been dating for 10 years now, or it will wow. be 10 years. Yeah, coming up in a couple months, we've been married for one. So at that time, we were already dating. And I was looking at it like, well, I'm planning to marry here. I'm not planning to to marry and divorce. That's not part of my equation here. So I wanted to have time for my wife for my family and all that. So I started looking at other careers. And um, again, my uncle, one of my uncles is a physical therapist. And I started just going and shadowing him and seeing what he does from day one. I liked it, um, loved it. Uh, and then it started coming out. I told my parents like, hey, I'm not going to apply to med school. Didn't even get to taking a, an MCAT or anything. It was just taking my classes. And then uh, before I got to the point that it was like, all right, I got to start studying for the MCAT. I did this switch. I told my parents, they were supportive, uh, but then word slowly got out. And um, my grandmother was not happy to say the least. She she started calling me all the time and sending me these text messages that were pretty hurtful and, and uh, a little bit like unexpected in terms of like what you would think from your family that you know loves Especially you. Especially like they... from your grandma, like yeah, grandmas like... are notoriously like sweet and supportive and like kind of like, I mean, I don't know. Is is your is your culture more matriarchal? No, I I mean, I guess you can say in some ways it used to be, but it, it really depends. Like, I wouldn't say it's a cultural thing. Like, in some okay. aspects, it might be. But at least now, like, it's already transitioned because we've been in America for so long. All those things have kind of changed as we've gone about just how society gotcha. and culture has changed. We've shifted with that, too, as in a cultural level. That's still like, like culturally any grandma is like yeah. not texting you no <laughs> so. well, yeah my grandmother texts she's on facebook too it's that's <laughs> hilarious um, hey grandma <laughs> yeah she, i hope she doesn't hear this because um obviously I'm, I'm just telling the truth here she yeah she started texting me and um kind of going back to what you're saying with grandmas and stuff it was kind of out of left field because I know that where she's coming from is that she loves me so much that she wants the best for me. And she thought I was making a, a just a drastic mistake and that I was kind of getting lazy and getting caught up in other things. And I didn't want to pursue becoming an MD because of that laziness and me getting distracted and whatnot. So she just came at it like an opposite approach, like not loving, not talking it through, but more of like a, um, I actually have a text saved. It was more of like a, I'm happy that I have other grandchildren to, uh, to do the things that you're not willing to do and to be better than you. All this stuff, like just going back and destroying like all my life decisions. Um, oh so gosh. it was a tough, yeah, it was a tough thing to go through at the time. And then even blaming my at the time girlfriend, my now wife, like saying that it had to do because she's not doing an MD path and I want to spend time with her and she'll be done with school sooner. So that's changing my decision to not pursue the length of school, like just making all these false accusations and then bringing her in on it. Um 
was unfortunate to say the least. And I just want to like say that getting your DPT is probably close to a similar amount of school, like like maybe one year less of school. Yeah. Like yeah, it's on. a three year graduate program where MD would be the four, right? So yeah. it's only one less. I mean, yeah, there's the residency You're... that at least for MD would probably be required, but for PT there is still an It's actually residency. not. It's actually not. MDs are not required to do a residency. Correction. You're right. What I meant was for for me, it would have been required because I was yeah. uh, wanting to do orthopedic surgery. So then that right, right. there, so then, yeah. I could be wrong, yeah. would be seven years. Right. So MDs that specialize, and I should say that that MDs, it's highly recommended that everybody do a residency. And a lot of places will not hire a medical doctor and unless they've had a residency. Um, yeah. But there, there certainly are medical doctors out there that probably just like started up their own clinic and didn't want to do a residency. They're yeah, they're out absolutely. there. I just yeah. had to throw that in there. No, no, you're so right. Um, it would have been people are comparing me. when people are comparing. They're really devaluating de- devaluing the physical therapist because it's like a less than thing. But really, you're a specialist in your area. Like you are an expert in your area. I just want to say that. I want to get yeah. that out there. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, especially being that it's it, we're specializing in that one area. It's not that you have to be like an MD. Let's say you're a general or a primary physician, where you kind of you know about all the things to an extent, and then you can definitely refer to other specialists. Um, there's residencies for all these different subcategories of this physical therapy realm. Like back to grandma, because I'm I'm. If you had an uncle that was a PT, was it her son that was the PT? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, it was. And so did you talk to him about that? Um, so my grandmother's an interesting person. Um, he, <laughs> she already has a, a kind of a bad relationship with her son, which kind of added to this where it's like, oh, now you're going to pick, pick his career. So then now I'm coming in and choosing his career profession. I don't know if it's just an, an insane amount of love that drives you absolutely crazy when it comes to things like this and not seeing things the way you absolutely want them to go. But uh, like, I know she loves me. I know she loves her son, but it just, it was all over the place and it was kind of unrealistic in terms of, um, or unbelievable what was happening. To be fair to becoming a physical therapist is a huge accomplishment. So bravo, like you just graduated, you did it. It's got to <laughs> feel awesome. And like before, but this was before you had started that journey. And I just have to f- just feel some empathy for you. You must have felt so <laughs> defeated and unsupported. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely tough going through all that and then going through school but right now it yeah right now feels amazing to be finally done with all of that and having completed it um it wasn't an easy process but it was definitely fun to meet all my classmates and go through the whole process with all of them together um something i'm actually going to kind of miss now that i'm graduated um part of it and now as dreadful as it is studying for boards i actually i'm trying to think of it as i get to do this not that i have to do this like i'm in this position and i know all these pre-pts that i'm constantly talking to want to be in so I'm trying to just really embrace the moment and say, look, I get the opportunity to study for this board exam and to take it. How did you push through when you felt the disapproval from some of your family members? How did you like persevere? Back then, it was hard for me to to talk about it. I kind of would ignore the subject because obviously, especially in Hispanic cultures and communities, we're very big on family and big events. And I guess everyone kind of stays where you're at. So if 
you're born in Miami, you end up living there forever and your all your family, all your cousins, everyone is there with you. So every holiday, whether it's, I mean, Thanksgiving, Christmas, like Noche Buena, whatever, all the family is there. And if that is the topic of the year, someone's going to bring it up. It was hard to to go through that just because it, I was afraid that it would come up. But I did have a lot of relatives that did kind of respect it and didn't see it as a problem at all. Um, it was just trying to avoid the conversation when it did come up and not really worry about it too much or think too much of it. I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I, I really just stuck to myself, kept my head down and kept grinding through what I had to do rather than engage and try to justify my decisions because I didn't feel the need to justify it to anybody else other than myself. So I didn't let any of that, whether it be negativity or talk around or getting those text messages or phone calls, I didn't really let it get to me. I kind of ignored it. At least with my parents, they helped a lot too because they would even tell me like, look, your grandmother is unique and one of a kind. You can't take what she says this seriously. And that really helped too because it's true, like going back, um, she is unique and she's very tough. And that's kind of the way that she is. For me, it, it helped me understand that it's not it's not really me. Yeah. It gave you good perspective. Yeah. It's, it's more her than me. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're studying for exams now and it's, it's stressful. And <laughs> what I've heard from other PTs is that they exercise. That's like their main their main self-care. Um, so what do you do to take care of yourself, to cope with the hard stuff, and to cope during this pandemic? What are you doing? So it's it's actually funny because that is usually the the main stress reliever. And I would say that is for me too, to an extent. But it's funny because I'm the physical therapist in my apartment with my wife, and yet she exercises way more than I do. She's so much <laughs> more consistent with it. But that is kind of what I do. I like to move around. Um, we have a, a new puppy. She's like seven months now. So Aww. I try to make sure that I'm walking her and whatnot, getting outside because I don't want to be locked up at this desk all day, especially when I know from my studies how bad that can be for health reasons and whatnot and incorporating movement and trying to, you know, practice what you preach. If I'm telling everyone to move and I'm not doing it, then that's kind of <laughs> hypocritical. So right. um, that's definitely great for me in terms of like moving and exercising. Um, that's probably my main thing. And with this whole COVID thing, it's actually been a big topic in terms of like in the clinic where I just finished my clinical rotations. Um, there was obviously less patients throughout the clinicals, but a lot of them had been home from work because they were either either furloughed in many cases or completely laid off or transitioning to work from home. We like to say in physical therapy, like your your body adapts to the stresses you put on it. Well, if you don't put stress on it, then your body's going to adapt and get weaker or not care to do things, stiffen up. Your body does things that you don't want it to do because you're not putting stresses on it. Those stresses are really good for your body to stay healthy. I mean, isn't that funny how like all the patients that we would normally see at our clinics and hospitals that aren't coming in to get care now, they're still out there. They still need the care. They're just yeah. not coming in because they can't or they're trying to stay out. And so people still need physical therapy. People still need primary care. And they can't come in and get it. So it's almost like, can you do some virtual care? I... So that's one that's actually picking up too in healthcare. I mean, not in healthcare, in the physical therapy realm of healthcare, where telemedicine, telehealth, that's something that's um, blowing up a little bit more because of a necessity for the clinics to to want to make sure that their patients are getting care. Because there's in physical therapy, I don't want to get too into it too much. But there's a lot of like infatuation with using, let's say, massage guns or these scraping tools for, um, again, kind of like a massage technique or manual therapy where we do manipulations, kind of like a chiropractor, we do um, our own set of those. And mm -hmm. there's this infatuation with that, where that takes up obviously time in this treatment. But if you're not there 
physically and you're talking to them through a computer and you know guiding them through the exercise they need to be doing and cueing them and whatnot and making sure they're doing it safely they're doing all of the movements for the entirety of that session. So more movement than they were getting before. Very interesting. Well, Dr. Victor Garcia Jr., <laughs> thank you so much for being oh, on the show. Me. If people would like to reach out to you and learn more about your leading PT project or just have if they have more questions about physical therapy, how can they get a hold of you? So if you want to get to me directly, my Instagram is Victor Garcia DPT, just recently updated. If you're a pre-PT at leading PT is probably the place to go also on Instagram. Um, and if you enjoy podcasts like listening to this one, we also have one called The Leading PT Podcast. So we're pretty accessible. Um, don't feel bad sending me a DM. I'm pretty, uh, I answer everything I get. All right. I That's actually how I found you. I was just like, hey, this guy looks cool. <laughs> I should have him on my show. <laughs> All right. So listeners, you know what to do. If you feel like this show is just giving you a gift, please give one back at Patreon. So we have our low dose $5 a month and our full dose at $10 a month. And if you want to support the show monetarily, I would welcome that. And what comes with that, you ask? Well, you can actually ask these guests questions. You can have an on-air shout out from me. And I'm happy to work with you to make the show better. So you can have actual input into the show if you get onto Patreon. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thanks again to Victor. And we will see you next week. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.